0: America, welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, XYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the infidel. I, I'm the infidel, I am <laughs> the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. And by the way, I just want to clarify something. That is not trying to insult Muslims. Um, I call you Muslim friends, right? Um, But uh, anyway, some people have asked me about that, and it's not meant to be insulting. It's referring back to their text of people of the book and such. Um, If you want to check us out online, please do so. Go to SonsLibertyRadio.com, SonsLibertyMedia.com. And if you want to watch the video portion of the show, that's right, you can see the faces made for radio. You can go to SonsLibertyMedia.com, scroll down right there on the right, and the video will be going all you have to do is click and enlarge it, and uh, you can join us in the video section of the show. You can also see that video feed on our Twitter account, at FPPTim, FPPTim on Twitter, or on Facebook at Sol. Our YouTube channel is Bedean Sons of Liberty. Beforeitsnews.com, Michael Roach has been so kind to give us a place there every weekday morning at 6 a.m., Saturdays at 8 a.m., and then 3 p.m. Monday through Saturday, Bradley comes on uh, Eastern Time. Uh, on before it's news.com. And then dlive.tv at the sons of liberty. The sons of liberty at dlive.tv. And finally, if you're on any of these other new networks, Spreely Gab, MeWeMinds, and USA.life, check us out at sons of liberty or sons of liberty media. Okay, so <laughs> today ought to be pretty fun. Um, and I hope it will be informative. I, I'm not looking just to. Um, stir the pot, so to speak. That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is help to correct some misunderstandings, some uh, things that lead people astray. And I'm going to give you just a few minutes of introduction on this, and then we'll get to what the topic is, which is, what was the mark of the beast? Okay? Now, literally for Hundreds of years, Christians and even people who aren't Christians have speculated on what the mark of the beast is. Notice that I'm using the terms was and is. They, they do this, okay? The other night I decided um, there, was, there was just some stuff that was being put out, and I listened to it. Look, I'm fascinated with some people. There's a young lady off of YouTube by the name of probably Alexandra, a very intelligent young lady. Uh, especially when it comes to Freemasonry and the occult, and, and putting that out there, and even some of her understanding of how that relates to Scripture is fascinating to me. I mean, it really is. But I think I think her interpretation of Revelation is bad, um, especially of thirteen, because of what the text says itself, and that's what I'm going to show you this morning. I don't want to. I don't want to go. I've made mention of this stuff before, uh, but the other night when I did a Facebook Live. Got a response saying, "Could you go into this a little further?" And frankly, <laughs> I would rather have Phil Kaiser come on here because he's really done a lot of the footwork. I mean, he really has in a lot of this. Now, some of these things I knew, uh, but he's put it into a commentary form. You can find this at kaisercommentary.com, dot com k a y s e r Commentary dot com. I'll have that in the I'll have a link to that in the um, the archive of the show later this morning, as well as you can listen to the sermon series. The sermon series is about about a hundred sermons and he will take the first 10 to basically lay down the background the scriptural background so that you understand what's being referenced because everything in the book of revelation is referenced in scripture and when we interpret scripture within scripture we come to a a a proper understanding and we have to do it in a context for instance when you and i write a letter to one another and if we wrote back and forth to one another I wouldn't you wouldn't want me to take your letter and take something that you said completely out of the context and apply it to something else that I just wanted to and said, Well, no, you did say that. And this is how I know you said that. And you pull I pulled a I pull a sentence out that had nothing to do with what I'm referencing. And you would you would be like, No, 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 no. But we do that all the time with what God says, don't we? Sure we do. How many of you raise your hand? It's okay, nobody's looking. <laughs> except God. Raise your hand. How many people Think the book of Revelation is largely for our future. And you've been taught that. Hmm? Who who does that? I'm on the wrong side of the camera. I've done it. I was taught that. Now, there is a small section where I do believe it does apply to our future right near the very end. But what I want to do is I want to show you from the text itself, that is not the case. And you have to be the one to wrestle with it. I'm not going to tell you, you have to believe this. I'm just saying, here's what it says. Now, it's up to you as to whether you actually believe that or not, okay? So, what I want to do is, with that in mind, and the context issue, this is key to just anything you see in Scripture, context is a key. Once you get the context right, once you interpret the context correctly, then you can understand what the text says, and it can have literally thousands of applications to it, okay? So I don't want you to lose sight of that either. But you get the you get the interpretation correctly. So let's start off with what is the context of Revelation. I'm not going to do newspaper theology. I'm not going to play you videos of people getting microchips in their hand or you know any. We'll make reference to some of that stuff in a little bit uh, when I point out exactly what's going on here. But what I want to do is I want to take you to the text itself. All right. So for those of you who get turned off by Bible lessons, a lot of people don't get turned off when you talk about the mark of the beast. It's the the strangest thing to me, um, because people who don't even read their Bibles have written to me. Some of them, my friends. Oh, do you think this is the mark of the beast? I'm like, dude, you're not even. You don't even know what the scripture says. You're not even reading it. One and two, you're not seeking to produce fruits of the Spirit, you're not seeking to love your fellow man and love God, so why are you asking me about something that's more of a meaty subject than, um, you know, this? But people have this fascination with wanting to know these kinds of things. Pin the tail on the Antichrist, find out who it is. I mean, for hundreds of years, people have been doing all that kind of stuff. And by the way, Antichrist, as I've said before, is only found in two books of the whole Bible, and it isn't in Revelation. You know that? Some of you don't know that. You think it's there, but it's not. It's in First and Second John, and it teaches. It, and John says, "You're hearing about an antichrist coming, but I'm telling you, it's a doctrine that people hold, and there are many Christ, many antichrists even now. By the way, if you want to call in, I'll take your call. You know, I'll try to answer any question that I can um, because it's been a while since I've looked at this, uh, but I did look over it a little bit last night, so I'd have a, a more firm grasp of what we're talking about. So sometimes even I have to refresh my understanding in that. Let's let's get kicked off here, though, uh, because I think people are interested in what's going on, especially in light of what they see happening in our land, and I'll bring application to that, okay? So I won't leave that off. I'll bring application to it. So let's go to Revelation chapter 1, because this sets the context for the whole book, okay? We have the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. What what does it say? For the time is at hand. Okay? For the time is at hand. Now, you have to understand something. This is not communicating, the time is at hand 2,000 years in the future. That's not what it's saying at all. In fact, there are two other places within the book of Revelation where John is very clear that this at hand is about to happen. Okay? It's about to happen. You say, How can this be? This is about future stuff. And if you know, if you've listened to people who just gone off the rails, Hal Lindsey and John Hagee, I mean John Hagee's a heretic. You shouldn't be listening to him anyway. And I don't I, it's been years since I've heard anything or read anything from Hal Lindsey, but I know John Hagee's a heretic, okay? He just is. If you listen to him, you really ought to repent and turn that stuff off. You really should. Um But one of the interesting things is is that in the book of Revelation, in the same chapter, he'll say the same thing. Um, uh, I lost my place in here. He goes on, let me see if I can uh, uh, put this back to where I was. <laughs> get a little tripped up when I start scrolling through some things here. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the phone number, and and I apologize for that, John. It's 215-867-8255, 215-TOP-TALK, if you want to call in. All right, so in the same chapter, if we continue in uh, what's being said here, verse 7 of chapter 1, it says this, Behold, he, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. Now, if you remember, Jesus told the Sanhedrin when he stood before them, he says, you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds uh, with power and great glory. You're going to see it. Right? He didn't say somebody else. He didn't say when you're, you know, at the end of time. He says, you're going to see it. He walked out of the temple after condemning the religious leaders, Matthew 23, And he began to speak to his disciples because they pointed to him. They said, Lord, look at all the the buildings, right? They were building Herod's temple, which they completed about three years before it was destroyed in 70 AD. And Jesus said, I'm telling you right now, there ain't going to be a stone left upon another. That's Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Those are what we call the Olivet Discourse, okay? Now, within the Olivet Discourse, Jesus lays out all these things. They said, well, tell us when these things are going to be, the destruction of the temple and the sign of your coming. Now, understand something. They are not asking about a second coming like we think of at the end of time where he comes to judge all men, where he comes to give a resurrection uh, to those who are his and new bodies and all of that, and where there is the, destru- the final destruction of the wicked. Okay? Um, 215, top talk. 215 top talk eight six seven eight two five five 8255 Because I can't type it in the thing right now. Um, so understand he's telling them something that's coming. In fact, when he's going to the cross and the women are weeping there for him, he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. He's talking about something, a destruction, that's going to come upon a disobedient people. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. Okay? In fact, Leviticus 26 is almost... This really shortened synopsis version of the trumpet bowl, you know, kind of judgments that are happening in Revelation. And I tend to think that uh, Revelation is providing us with, or John is providing us with his Olivet Discourse. He's the only gospel writer without one. And I think God gives it to him in vision form what's happening. I believe that's the case for Kaiser and many others. My own pastor uh, holds to these kind of things, too. And they're not new things. They're actually quite old. I mean, this isn't anything new. It's just that people get a predominant uh, view of Revelation. Oh, this is something future, and this, that, and the other. Well, it was future to the people written, that's for sure, but it was to be happening in a short time. And quite honestly, I think Revelation was probably written 66, 67 AD, just before the destruction of Jerusalem. In fact, I think all of, I think it's the last book, all of the New Testament is written prior to 70 AD. Okay? And we do have. Pieces of manuscript, even from the first century. So it's not that this is a far stretch or something like that. There are references to specific things in here that obviously are dealing with first century. Okay, that's that's just the way it is. So he says that it, he's going to do this. All kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. So I'm giving you, I'm trying to give you a little bit of headway before we get to why I think the mark of the beast is in the past, but we can definitely apply it to today. So John says he's on the Isle of Patmos, um, and I was thinking there was another place that I made... Oh, okay. It was verse 1. I didn't emphasize this. In verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must what? Shortly come to pass. Shortly come to pass. And then verse 3, For the time is at hand. So in the first chapter, in the first three chapters, verses of that chapter, what we see is John is saying, what I'm fixing, what I'm seeing, what God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass are things that must shortly come to pass. Not thousands of years out in the future, but what's shortly to come to pass. Now, if that's not enough, he closes the book by doing this, all right? So when we go to verse 6 of Revelation 2, Twenty-two. What does he say there? And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which, what? Must shortly be done. Must shortly be done. Now I'm going to tell you, I was taught all of the dispensational stuff. I was taught all of the stuff about modern day Israel. I was taught all the stuff about uh, Christian Zionism and all of this kind of stuff. And I was taught revelation was out in our future, could be happening any time. Jesus could come at any moment. And I'm not a mocker of things of, of Christ's return. I believe that Christ will return. I do. He's going to judge all men. All of us are going to stand before Him. And we're going to even count to Him of the things done in our body, whether good or bad. All right. So I believe that. But some of the ridiculous notion of secret raptures—that's not really found in Scripture. It's really not. I know you people, some will point to First Thessalonians 4. That's not what this is about. Um, your secret rapture, seven-year tribulation, blah, 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 all this stuff. Tribulation happened, same time this happened. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24. There's a great tribulation coming, such as has not been seen, nor ever will be. And that's upon the people that God is judging for their disobedience. All right. So this gives us kind of a clue as to how the scriptures... Are or how the book of Revelation is put together in a context. Okay, I hope that's helpful for people, Um, because a lot of people just jump in immediately. Oh, this is black helicopters, and oh, this is you know that, and it's just some weird stuff that we get into. And I can understand it if you don't if you don't take the context, people can make it out to be whatever they want to. I don't want to do that. I want to present you with what the context is, and you know what, everything else that's in the book falls in that context. If you interpret it correctly, you then have a really good view, in my opinion, of how blessings come to the people of God who obey God, and curses come to the people who don't, and how tyranny works and why it should be stood against. And you can only stand against it if you really, I mean truly, you can stand against it if you stand under the law of the Creator, period. That's You can't do it any other way. If you think you can, just take a look to France. They were having a revolution at the same time we were having a war for independence to restore liberty and law. They were you know, without God. They were over there. It was just completely bloody. So it was two different things, all right? We had that Christian foundation under the Bible. Yes, did people die? I'm not saying they didn't. But we we kept that going under the auspice of what the scriptures teach us, so here's the thing: we've got several things. Revelation 13, and again, again, I'm not, I haven't gone all the way through here, okay? But let me give a, a brief synopsis. In Revelation 13, what we have is we have two beasts. Now this comes after Revelation 12 and we're talking and and there it ends with Satan or the great the the the, the dragon who's standing on the shore of the sea, okay? That's at the end of Revelation 12. Then we come into Revelation chapter 13 and he talks about two different beasts, right? Now, just so you know, when you go back into Daniel, the book of Daniel, you'll see that there's at least two visions where um Daniel sees animals, okay. And here's the here's the issue. It goes to the fact that there are are there's some different kinds of animals, and then there's there's beasts of what it, what it refers to as beasts, and these are references to kingdoms that come up. For instance, we see at first before there's beasts, there's an idol that's that's rendered, and uh, you recall Nebuchadnezzar had a and it had a dream and daniel told him what the dream was and he said he saw an image it was a head of gold and it had a chest and arms of of silver and then it went down to brass and then iron and then iron mixed with clay at the feet right and then it, you'll recall at the end of that you recall at the end of it i saw a stone that was cut out without hands remember that and this little stone, it's, it's reminiscent of the picture of David and Goliath. Remember when David went out to meet the Goliath? And he was, he was taunting the armies of Israel. All of, these, all of these mighty men of Israel are cowering in fear before one guy. Yeah, he was nine foot tall, but they were cowering before one guy. They didn't just take him out as a, as a group. They cowered in fear. And here's this little shepherd guy. I, I'm. I. I think David was probably well toned. He was probably in good shape, but he was probably a little runt of a guy. And yet he went out to meet him, and he says, "You come to me in, with a spear and a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to feed your carcass to the, the birds, and uh, and I'm going to put your. I'm going to put our enemies to flight." And he, and the guy laughs at him, and so David just takes his sling, and uh, there ain't no more laughing, because the guy's dead. The Bible says that the stone sunk into his forehead. David went over, grabbed his own sword, cut his head off, stuck it in a bag to take it back to the king, and the armies were encouraged, and they went after their enemies and drove them away. Okay? So, when we talk about beasts here, keep in mind, beasts have already been given a picture. Um, I think in Ezekiel, we have some of that too, and uh, but definitely in Daniel. We see these things that happen. So, Here's this issue to where Jesus is the stone that's cut out without hands. He hit, he smashes the image. I'm sorry if I'm if I'm mixing things up. I don't mean to be um, because I had a particular thing I want to go with, but this just kind of hit in my head. Uh, the stone hits the image. It smashes it to bits, scatters it to the wind. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come among men. You say, well, does does it look like we're in the kingdom of God? Well, Paul says we've been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. That's what Paul says. Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come through sight, but it is within you. That's what Jesus said. I think that's Luke 17. That's what he says. So are you going to believe him, or are you going to believe your teacher in error? I'm going to believe what Jesus says. Okay? So anyway, we see that with the image. We see it with beasts. There are beasts that uh, Daniel has visions of. We see it for Babylon. We see it for Medo-Persia. We see it for Greece. We see it for Rome. All of them are depicted as beasts. In fact, this beast that we first see in Revelation chapter 1, where we see, I stood upon the sand of the sea, this is John, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, that's Satan, his seat and great authority. Now, you have to understand something here. I'm not going to get into the beasts, okay? But I'm just going to tell you. I believe this is talking about Rome. I believe this is exactly what this is talking about, Is this, this going on here, all right? And if you go back to the image that um, Daniel saw, it's very, very similar, okay? It's very similar here as to what's going on. So, with that in mind, there's a second beast that comes up. And um, that happens in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which de- therein to worship the first beast, those deadly wound whose deadly wound was healed. He doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, this, um, I've been wanting to do a show, maybe an article, it depends, on the false prophet nobody talks about, and not not that I'm going to reference this, but this, this has commonly been referred to as a false prophet, this other beast that comes up, okay? So often in Scripture, what we find is, and you can find this in Daniel, the beast refers not only to a nation or an empire or a kingdom, but it also refers, it can be interchangeable with the head of that empire. Okay? One of the things um, that the Scripture teaches us, and everybody will be familiar with this one out of Deuteronomy, that if there is a prophet that comes among you and he speaks something, but that thing does not come to pass that he has said, you have a rock party with him. You give him a dirt nap. And it's the community that does it so that everybody learns to fear, right? I don't know why we're not doing that with American so-called prophets today who are just false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. I don't know why we don't deal with people like that. But they're prominent on places like TBN, Heretic Central is what it is, Um, It's not Christian television for the most part. And things like that. I don't know why we don't deal with these people that way. But there is another one that God warns us about. And he says, if there's a prophet that comes in your midst and he tells you something is going to come to pass, and it does come to pass, then you're not to fear him either. It's basically... You need to do to him the same thing as the other. So if you're wondering why when God said when he sent the, the people of Israel into a land to wipe out everything, which is horrendous. I mean, can you imagine women, children, animals, men? I mean, just you don't leave them sent. It's because they had so ingrained themselves with utter idolatry and rebellion towards god that he had just had it up to here and he said this and you say well tim see there you're that's the bloody christian wait a minute that's for a specific time and a specific people that that happened that he ordered that to go i ain't got no word from god telling me to go anywhere and go do any of that so i want to be clear about that but under the law yeah i can see certain things um taking place as far as punishments for individuals who do these kinds of things now Let's get to the meat of the issue, because we're halfway through the show, and I know some people are saying, "Well, I tuned in to hear about this? Uh, and I get it all the time. It's an hour-long show, folks, okay? So I'm leading up to these things. I want you to understand, I've come from where many people come. I've been told this is my future, this is all this kind of stuff. It's not CBN, T-T-T-T-T-T-B-N, Trinity Broadcasting Network, okay? Trinity Broadcasting Network, someone was asking, so I'm trying to make it clear. That's what it is. Okay, so let's look at this text to where we come to in the book of Revelation. Uh, And before I do that, let me just make clear. Those people who will tie Antichrist in with first beast okay, of Revelation, this is Antichrist. What doesn't say that? He, uh, he obviously is antichrist. <laughs> There's no question about that. But John has already told us what an antichrist is. It's somebody who denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. You don't receive them into your home. You don't bid them Godspeed, lest you be a partaker in their evil, de- evil works. So you don't do that. So if you have, I don't know, Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door who deny the deity of Christ. If you have Mormons, and look, I love Jehovah's Witnesses. I love Mormons. I don't want to... But they hold to the very doctrine that John says is Antichrist. They deny the deity of Christ. What they do is they say, well, there's many gods, or Mormons do. There's many gods. Well, that's not holding to the deity of Christ that John illustrates to us in John chapter 1, nor in his um, epistles. However, just so we're clear, even our forefathers in the Reformation pointed to Antichrist's okay, specifically the papacy. Let me give you just a little bit of that, and then we're going to hit this Mark of the Beast part, all right? So when you go to the Westminster Confession, here's one of the things you find. Whoa, my thing just disappeared here, (laughs) my screen. All right, so uh, here we have in um, chapter 25 of the Church of the Westminster Confession, one of the things you have here is it says there isn't, this is the only, basically the church has been united over eschatology in the sense that there's a final day Jesus will come again he'll judge the nations and then we go into what we term what we term as the eternal state if you will okay that's where everybody throughout history has agreed in Part 6 of chapter 25, the Westminster, it says, There is no head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, that exalteth himself in the church against the Christ and all that is called God. Now, they're not the only ones. This also happens with Baptists. And so in the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, which uh, people like Charles Spurgeon held to, and I used to hold to this when I hold to the Westminster now, uh, except for that little part, I don't necessarily buy that even even though I think the Pope is an Antichrist, okay, I'm just going to tell you This is what it says. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in whom by the appointment of the Father, all power by the calling, institution, order of government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, I mean, it's almost the same thing as Westminster, that exhausts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So you can see even, you know, Great men in our history, men that I admire and that I've read, held to the parts of these confessions here. Uh, whether it's the Baptist Confession, which is a Reformed Baptist, it's not like Southern Baptist, so don't twist that up. Southern Baptist has Baptist faith, faith and message. They don't hold anybody to it, and it's really kind of milk toasty. It makes God; it doesn't make God sovereign. It makes man sovereign, and a whole bunch of other. things. It's just, it's not a very good confession. Um, But the 1689 and the Westminster are very similar, except for the issue, really, where it comes down to of, uh, I think, some church government and baptizing uh, infants of believers. I think that's all the difference. Now, with that said, I'm just kind of throwing that in the mix, because some people are taught this is Antichrist, okay? So what I want to do is I want to go to the text of Revelation uh, 13, excuse me, and... Yes, many of our founding fathers were Freemasons. That's just not undeniable, Joy. We do have some of that, and some of that gets mixed in. It does. I don't. I, people can say what they want. You can't hold. You can't be like thirty third degree Mason and not not affect some semblance of what you're doing. Even if maybe you hold to the scriptures that they're the word of God. Maybe you say certain things. Oh goodness, some people just do not get it. Anyway, um, so anyway, we. Have Revelation thirteen. Okay, here's what we've got: the second beast that comes up out of the land. And by the way, it's an interesting thing. The term "land" means the earth. Or if you if you read, excuse me, when you when it says "earth," it it literally means the land, the land, um, which is kind of interesting, considering that you know God promised the people in the Old Testament. Uh, his covenant people he promised them land, did he not? Now it was a down payment on the whole earth. It was a down I'm not just going to give you this postage stamp piece of land. this is sort of the down payment and you know what Abraham died never seeing that promise fulfilled but believing it right that's what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11. He, he looks out and he sees it, and he believes God in it. Now, this second beast comes up out of the land, or you'll see it. It comes up out of the earth. Some translations have the earth, but the literal translation is for the land. And he had power to give life into the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. That's verse 15. Then he goes on. This is the part where everybody's familiar with. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the number of the beast, or excuse me, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. It's not six, six, six. It's six hundred and sixty-six. And what's interesting is even in the Greek that it's written in, uh, I believe it's pronounced a chikstigmata, and many of you have heard of the stigmata, right? Uh, people getting I don't know blood in their hands and blood in their feet or something like that. It's kind of the crucifixion. It's a weird thing. I don't. I think it's demonic. I, I don't think it has anything to do f- from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think it's really demonic, but. This is kind of the the word that's given there, the stigmata. So it's something that's put into. Now, I've made mention many times on this show, especially when we're talking about education, that the state has no authority. We've given them no authority to have anything to do with education at the federal level or the state level. In fact, in my state of South Carolina, the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, The reason I, one of the reasons I say that is due to uh, the force of what Abraham Lincoln, and he was a tyrant, and he was a Marxist, and he was a violator of the Constitution, I know that's going to sting some of you people, okay, but go do your homework on it. Quit listening to the prop- the propaganda that you were indoctr- indoctrinated with as a kid, as I was. Remember, the winners of the war get to write the history, not the not the other guys. You want to learn some real history, <laughs> go, re- go read The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government. Um that that'll that'll start making you wonder if you've been told the truth or not okay so you have those kinds of things Lincoln imposed state education on the south made made them made uh, to have education as part of their constitution why it was part of them coming back into the union now this again this was this was the advance all along is to get education out from under mom and dad whose duty it is, it's your jurisdiction, mom and dad. And if you want to give me excuses about it, you can talk to God about it, because he's the one who said it, Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to go there. In fact, let's go there now, because one of the things that I often do is I'll put this, um, as I said at the first, I put things in the context, and the Bible interprets the Bible, okay? Okay. So you, you have to understand that. Otherwise, you're just left to figure out what any of this right hand, forehead, you know, all this stuff really is. You're just left to, to guess on all of it. Okay. So when you go to Deuteronomy 6, here's what we read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day... Now, understand... This is specifically written to the fathers, to the men of the community. This is what they're to do. He says, It shall be in thine heart, so it's got to be in the heart of the man who's leading the family, wife and children. He's leading them. He's teaching them. And thou shalt teach them diligently and to thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Pretty much all day, you're sort of feeding in what God has commanded. That's what you're inputting into your children. Okay? There's no room for eight hours a day at a state indoctrination center. There's none for that. That is not biblical. It's Marxist to the core is what it is. So if you're sending your kid there and you're calling your, yourself a conservative, I think I would examine what I'm doing. That's just me. I would examine what I'm doing. Why am I sending my kid to a statist indoctrination center when God says, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, okay? Then there's this, verse 8, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. You're going to write them on the post of your house and on your gates, All right. Now, he tells us, he goes on to tell why he did this for the people of Israel. And I'm going to hit this real quick, okay? Because I think that that Revelation, as well as uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, are nothing but the covenant curses of God upon a disobedient people, Israel. He said, I will utterly destroy you. Read it, Deuteronomy 28. Nobody wants to talk about that. I'll utterly destroy you if you do these, if you don't do what I said, if you don't keep my commandments, if you don't love me. I'll utterly destroy you. You say, well, that's kind of harsh, to him. Well, you've got to understand, Israel was the bride of God. They were his wife. He's often, And he says, you played the whore. You played the whore with other gods. He, he creates their idolatry with sexual immorality, with adultery. And Revelation has that, too. And so that's why in the Old Testament, God said, if you've got somebody that's unfaithful like this, they need to be stoned. You put them to death. But God was patient with Israel, and he constantly went after Him. He constantly fed them. He constantly took care of them, provided for them. And they continued to reject him. And finally, he had had enough, and he says, I'm going to judge you. And this judgment's promised in Ezekiel. It's promised in Jeremiah. He gives them a writ of divorce, which is something he was supposed to do under the law. So he did that. So you have all these things. So what did I make the emphasis on from Deuteronomy here? Well, I made it on verse eight. Bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. What is that? Well, again, they had little phylacteries. They call them phylacteries. They would take these phylacteries, which are little wooden boxes, and they would take leather straps, and they would bind them to their right hand, okay? And in those phylacteries, those little boxes, they took and they um, put a piece of paper inside it, like a little scroll, with Scripture on it, with the law of God on it. And then they would, you know, if they were really wanting to be super religious looking, right, they would take their phylacteries and they'd put it right here in the middle of their forehead and they'd bind it around their head and it'd sit right there between their eyes, just like it says. And the bigger the phylactery, the more holy or religious they're supposed to be it was all an outward appearance this is why jesus spoke about not just this but other things he did you wash the outside of the cup but the inside's really dirty you're you you wash the outside of the sepulchers but the inside's full of dead men bones it was all about the outward appearance there was nothing coming from the heart okay so when we go back to revelation what we find is there's a there's a mark that's received in the hand or the forehead right same place same place now, what did this take place in the first century? Well, yeah, historians, preachers, uh, Phil Kaiser's one of them. He says that it has. Now, I'm going to shock some people here. Here's your mark of the beast. You go, well, what is that? Well, that is a Roman coin with Caesar Nero's image on it. Now, Nero was not around when Jesus was walking the earth. But one of the things is this. You remember when they came to him, they said, should we, should we, should we, give ta- should we pay taxes? And Jesus, said, Jesus didn't say, yeah, you should pay taxes. That's not what he said. What he says is, whose image is on the coin? And they said, well, well, Caesar's. And he goes, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Now, the thing that you have to keep in mind is, who is Caesar made in the image of? That's all right. He's made in the image of God. But Jesus didn't answer them and said, yeah, go pay your taxes. That's not what he said. He said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. He's trying to get their focus off the silly question that they're asking him to try to trap him in because God's already spoke to the issue of taxes before. Okay, He's already spoken about that and what it is. So you say, well, how is that little coin there? And the people I know in the radio audience couldn't see it. But it'll be up in the archive at libertymedia.com. I'll have that image there so you can see it. How is that the mark of the beast? Well, here's how. The Jews and the Romans, we know, were sort of at each other. The only time they really got together was, was to kill Jesus. And even then, Pilate did it reluctantly. He wanted to let Jesus go. He thought, well, okay, maybe we'll just go beat Jesus and that'll be enough and they'll see that that the guy's hurting, that he's bleeding, and they'll, want, they'll 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 let me go. He was trying to be political. And so it, those of you who think that I'm giving Donald Trump a hard time, this is why. He's not elected to be political. He's elected to uphold the law. The same thing was true of Pilate. He wasn't elected to be political. Yes, it was a political office, but he was elected to uphold the law there in the area that he governed. Instead, he became political and succumbed to the political pressure to put the Son of God to death. Now you stop and think about that just for a moment if you think I'm being too hard on anybody. What if the political pressure comes to you or to me to put us to death as believers? You're being censored right now. You're being fined. You're being jailed for going outside your home. You're doing all these things. And the people who've been put in place, including Donald Trump, are doing nothing to stop it. And they're letting it happen. Why? Because it's political for them. Same thing was true with Pilate here. And the same thing, it became worse under Nero. Because it wasn't even about politics. It was just this lustful blood thirst so much so that he was taking Christians and lighting them on fire to light up the night of his garden. Christians, your brothers and sisters and mine. This is what he was doing. But what happened with this coin is, is this. They, there was this imposition that if you wanted to buy or sell in that area at that time, You had to receive this mark now it may have come as two ways and we probably have indication that it probably came as both okay you could take and you could take your phylactery off your right hand okay which is where the the jewish guys wore their phylacteries and you could put it on your left hand and in place of that You would put this coin, or it might be another kind of a mark, maybe leather, something like that, but you would put that on there, strapped with leather to your hand. Or you would take it and you would put it around your head, and it'd be here, and it would show your allegiance. And this is something people are going to think I'm un-American. I'm not. This is something I really have a problem with, with people wanting to force Pledge of Allegiance and all that stuff. You go back and read it. Socialist Baptists put a lot of this stuff together to me it, some of it smacks of stuff that i saw in germany i don't need to pledge allegiance to a flag in order to be to have my allegiance to my country if needed to actually defend her i don't i don't have to do that because ultimately my citizenship is in heaven and as a citizen of heaven my yes should be yes and my no no that's what jesus said leave the oaths out of it leave the alleg- pledges of allegiance out of it give me Doing what I'm supposed to do. That's more important than what I say, isn't it? Obviously it is, because we see all kinds of guys put their hand on the Bible, take an oath to uphold the Constitution, and they don't do it the moment they take it. And they know they're not going to do it. Some of them don't even know it. I'm more interested in the guy who knows it and will do it than whether or not he tells me he's going to do it. Aren't you? Doesn't Doesn't that make sense? Put your money where your mouth is? All right? So literally what happened was if you were not willing to acknowledge that Caesar was Lord, all right. in some cases I, I believe they had them actually offering sacrifices, uh, which would definitely have been offensive to many of the Jews. But they had them offering sacrifices. Now what's interesting um, about this particular coin is there is some information that we have that even though the book of Revelation was written in Greek, there have been many scholars who've recognized that a Greek form of Nero's name, which is Neron Caesar, when it's rendered into Hebrew or Aramaic, it gives a combined value of 666. That's that whole Gematria thing, All right? There are other manuscript copies, and I want to just address this real quickly, that read 616, not 666, and the reason that may have been was um, some Latin translations that took place as well, and the translation of his name comes up to 616, and that may, that just may be an error. I think the, the majority of the text we have reads 666, okay? And look, God did not say he's going to preserve all the copies uh, infallible, but, but I do believe that uh, he preserved his word. To be infallible, and I don't think that's the King James version, folks. I'm not a King James only person. I've heard the arguments. I think they're terrible arguments. Um, but uh, but and there are translations that are obviously bad. The NIV is not good. Any paraphrased Bible and stuff like that's not good. Good word for word translation, if that's what you want. Uh, New American Standard is is a good word for word translation. But the but the point I'm not going to get into that. But the point is is that even his name Caesar. Um, and Neron Caesar comes up to 666, sixty-six. All right. So this coin that I showed you, it bears the Latin name, the one, that, the 6, 616 that's in question, Nero Caesar. And then later, when we read that he's going to receive this mark and this, that, and the other, there's another commentator, uh, Craig Coaster. And uh, this guy, here's what he writes. I'm going to give you this information. Using coins with the emperor's picture, for Jews opposed to Roman rule, coins bearing the emperor's portrait could be considered a violation of the divine command not to make a graven image. See how Jesus just took them right when, when he addressed that? Whose image is on there? Okay? Whose image is on there? Not to, to make a, a graven image. Exodus 204 6. The New Testament gospels say that when Jesus responded to a question about taxes, he had this questioners, he had his questioners produce a coin which bore the emperor's portrait. The coin showed their connection to the imperial system. Revelation envisions the beast's mark, not only on the forehead, but on the right hand, perhaps because a person would not hold a coin in the hand when making a sale. And um, and Kaiser adds some things as well. Now what I want to do is I want to give, um, if I can, I lost my place in where I wanted to to bring up some stuff, because I want to get into a quick application, because we're running out of time here. And I do want to give some application, because I know some people are saying, well, Tim, you're saying this is no, and can't you see what's going on in this? And uh, Okay, I walk by faith, not by sight. I can see things, and everybody else around me thinks the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but my Bible says that Christ is king, and that he's putting all his enemies under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15, you guys read that, believe it, and follow it, in spite of what you see. Again, the, the armies of Israel cowered in fear before a nine-foot giant. The little boy David trusted in the Lord, he went out and says, Yeah, I see the giant, I see you scaredy-cats over here, and I'm going to go fight this guy. And I'm going to win. Now, it's time that Christians quit playing around. Quit being scaredy cats. Quit trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist. Quit talking to gloom and doom and go out in victory in the name of the Lord. That's what we should be doing. So there's several things. I'm not going to have time to get to it. I'll I'll link up to the commentary where you can read it. I'll also give you the link to the series in the archive this morning. Here's what I want to do. So there is your mark of the beast. All right? And ultimately, anybody left in the city, when Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24... When you go to Luke 21, you'll find out what that is. It's the armies encompassing Jerusalem. When you see that happen, get out of the city. Don't go back for your coat. Don't go back for this, that, and the other. Get out of the city. Why? It's fixing to come under siege, and they seized it for three and a half years. They starved the people out. You can read some of the stuff that happened um, by Josephus in uh, his antiquities. You can read that. You can see exactly... And Josephus was not a Christian. He references the Christians. Do you know not one Christian died in the city? Because they heard Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and they got out of the city. Matthew 24 is not about our future. Luke 21 is not about our future. Mark 13 is not about our future. Revelation, for the most part, is not about our future. Except right at the end. It was about the immediate future of the people that John wrote to. Now... How? What can we do? Is there an application for this? Yes, there is. Whenever your government, doesn't matter if it's now or it's been through history, whenever they start trying to limit your buying and selling, whenever they say you can only do this, that, and the other. In fact, one of the things about our, our Constitution was we're supposed to be using gold and silver in our trading, or Or even bartering. But definitely in paying of debts. Do we do that now? No, we don't do that. We have paper fiat money that's like monopoly money. It only has value because they say it has value. Now you can see the same thing. Look on your money. Whose image is on that? Just asking. You come to your own conclusion about it. Whose image is on it? It's gotten to the point now, though, that they've reversed if you're carrying 10000 of their monopoly money, they'll come in and try to steal it from you saying, oh, it smells like drugs. <laughs> you have no business to carry this cash. Really? Um, yeah, that's our property. It is our property. But you've got these kinds of things that go on. So, real quickly, here's a quick application. When you have tyrants come in and say, you can't do this, that, or the other unless you do this, that, or the other, That's a tyranny that's reminiscent of what you read in Revelation 13. If you are willing to submit to tyranny, you are submitting to the beast. This is why I call it a beast. Not because I think this is that, but because I draw the application from it. I think our founding fathers and those before them knew this too. And this is why they said resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Do you understand? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to make it overly complicated. This is very simple. You're either going to submit to the law of God or you're going to submit to tyrants. Submit to God, submit to tyrants. Submit to God, submit to tyrants. It's not hard. This is not hard. This is not difficult. It really isn't. And people in the past have submitted to the beast. They've submitted to the tyrants. They've not submitted to God. And ultimately, they get the wrath of God. You say, well, is this vaccine that's coming? It's got chips. What about the microchip? People can put a chip in their hand to go through a door. I don't care. Be silly with that if that's what you want to do. But when it comes down to telling you you can do this or can't do that, that thats a God-given right to you and they tell you you've got to do these things, that is the application of tyranny there. You guys have a great weekend, great Lord's Day. See you tomorrow, 8 a.m. Kate Shemarani, see ya.